and to talk about, like our brother just said, Jesus again. But also to talk more than just about Jesus, as, as Bill had alluded to in the lesson this morning, his lesson this morning in class, uh, there's a danger sometimes, I think, in, in just talking about Jesus. And what I mean by that is we can be Christocentric or we can be Christomonic. And I don't want to be Christomonic. I want to be Christocentric. I think the Bible is Christocentric. That Jesus is talked about way back in the Old Testament. That everything points to Jesus, right? And, you know, after Jesus comes and he dies on the cross, who are the disciples pointing back to? They're pointing back to Jesus. But if we forget about the Father, if we forget about the Spirit, then we're not really paying attention to the whole message. Because like we've said many times in the sermon this morning, we said in class this morning, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John John 17, Jesus' prayer, he says, I've revealed your word to them. I've done this for you. I've done your mission. Jesus is always pointing back to the Father. And I've tried to do that in my lessons. Bill did that again this morning in his lesson. Uh, Jesus is our Savior, but we better never forget our Heavenly Father either. Or the Spirit that He's given us to live with us and in us and empower us for the mission that He puts us on. Which leads me to, again, this, this sort of thing. I don't want to sound like a broken record, and my brother Bill has said that a couple times, and he's talked to me about sounding like a broken record and saying that Bonnie tells him he sounds like a broken record because he talks about the same thing. I don't want to sound like that either, like a broken record, but, man, when we start talking about Jesus, we start talking about the Father, we start talking about the Spirit, like happens in class, I hear things, and I'm thinking, I'm going to say something like that this morning. And, And it happens all the time because, man, when you're talking about Jesus, it's hard not to just cross over each other. But then when I thought about saying, I'm not, I don't want to sound like a broken record, I thought all of a sudden, how many people out there really know what a broken record is? When you say, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I mean, nowadays, I was looking online, you know, nowadays, we got kids that if you say, I I don't want to sound like a broken record to you, the kid will look at you like, what? What does that mean? Like this, this, this duck and this sun duck. Again, brush your teeth. Come on, I sound like a broken record. A broken what? Yeah. A broken record. See, records were kind of like early CDs. CDs? <laughs> Even kids nowadays, CDs. What are CDs? Oh, you know, how I have music on my phone. Like YouTube videos? No, no, no. What's up with that? It's kind of like, um, I think he's buffering. <laughs> you know. And for those of you, I thought, as soon as I got done with that joke, I thought, well... What happens if somebody in the audience doesn't know what buffering is? So, so for your, for your enjoyment here, here is what buffering is. I'll let you read that yourself. But, you know, the, the Internet needs to catch up with your application, and so it kind of sits there, and you see that little thing spinning until it gets enough information. Then it plays for you. Buffering. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a uh, public service announcement here. The more you know, right? I'll explain records to you, I'll explain buffering to you, and hopefully this morning I'll explain a little bit more about Jesus to you as well. But uh, again, sounding like a broken record, maybe we do at this point sound like a broken record because we've been talking about Jesus a lot, talking about the Father a lot, we've been talking about His Spirit a lot. No, you can't, right, Jared, you can't talk about it too much, you can't. This morning we're going to talk about protection. In that list that, uh, 
that we have, the, the things that we're working through. We started off with Matthew 4.19, talking about, uh, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, right? So we're talking about a relationship, then we're talking about an intentional part of his mission to make his disciples fit for the mission that he's going to send them on. He's not going to send them out there not knowing what to do. He loves them. He's going to take care of them. He's going to show them how to do what he's asking them to do. One of the first things he, see, he, he does in this protection area, I think, is teaching. I think teaching falls in this protection. I've got four things this morning. The fourth one is the most important, I think. So hold on to your hats, because when we get to the fourth one, it's really going to get good. So stay with me. The first one is teaching. I think Jesus protects his disciples and protects us through teaching. Now let me explain a little bit about what I mean. In Matthew 5, 11 through 13... Look at what Jesus says here. Blessed are you when people insult you and, when, and, and they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of what? Me. Not just because you actually deserve that, that kind of talk, but because you're acting like me or you're doing something that looks like me. Basically, Jesus is, is saying, if you look like me and somebody insults you, well, great. More power to you, actually. If you look like Christ and somebody says... I don't like you because you look like Christ. That's the best kind of person or best kind of insult you could possibly have. Number 12, or verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before, or in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is, is, you know, reaching back and saying the prophets, they got killed. They got killed by the people God sent them to. They got persecuted. I'm going to get persecuted. What makes you think you're going to be any different? If you look like me, you can expect it. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. See, Jesus, I think, is saying in his teaching, and and he's saying, take this teaching with you. Teach others this teaching that when you look like me, not only will you get persecuted probably or, or insulted, but if you do... Great, because that means you look like me. How does God protect us? How did Jesus protect his disciples? Through the teaching that he taught him. Let me share with you God's word. Let me expand your minds here and, and not follow after this, this sect, this, these, the Pharisees or the Sadducees or this or that, or be worried about this or that. Let me show you what God's word really means. And he, and he opens it up and he lays it out to them and teaches them the truth about what God is, God is asking, the relationship God wants to have with them, the relationship Jesus wants to have with them, and he lays it out there in front of them, and that's part of what, I think, protects his disciples, the teaching, and then part of what protects us as well, his teaching. That protects me. It protects my soul, and it protects me throughout this life. Second thing. First one is teaching. The second one is actions and interactions. So I think Jesus was very focused on his disciples' actions and their interactions. And he commented on them. And he, and he used teaching moments, I guess you could say. it. When, when things happened, Jesus capitalized on things that happened and used them as teaching moments. Luke chapter 9, verse 46 through 48, says, An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. Yep. Now here's one of those teaching moments where Jesus says, I think I could use this. <laughs> These guys are arguing. Let me use this. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. 
For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. He launches into a very good... Yeah, it's just that teaching moment, that immediate example of what you guys are arguing about. I know what's in your heart. And he uses that in other places too where they dare to argue about who might be the greatest among them. And Jesus reduces that argument to just pure foolishness. That's just, that's just silliness. Actually, if you want to be great, you're going to be like this child. If you want to be great, you're going to be a servant. So through their actions and their interactions, Jesus protects them by saying, hey, stop arguing about that. That's not important. Let me point you to the important thing. Let me show you what's important. By my actions and my interactions with you, I think Jesus still teaches me. He teaches me through his word as I read these kind of things, but I also get some encouragement from brothers and sisters, too, through my actions and interactions. I've been admonished by brothers and sisters before about my actions or interactions. Maybe you have, too. Some brother or sister coming up to you saying, that doesn't, that's not quite right. Or did you think before you said that? <laughs> what, what are you thinking? Or, trying to help you out. Jesus helps his disciples out. His disciples help others out. And I think we help each other out. God's word is teaching them. He's teaching them in their actions and their interactions. And the third thing he's teaching is or protecting through is promises. God protects us. Jesus protects his disciples through promises. And here I want to use John 10, 25 through 30. Jesus answered them and said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Man, one of the greatest promises is that if I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ, there's nothing that stands between me and him. If I'm washed in the blood of Christ, there's nothing that stands between me and him. He's promised to take all that stuff out of the way. He's promised to take my sin out of the way. Romans 8, when, he, when, he, when Paul gets down to that end of that chapter, that great chapter, and he says all these things have been taken out of the way. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Now, that's, that's a beautiful promise, isn't it? Now, that promise protects his disciples, but it also protects us today. Through the word that he preached, through the word that he taught, through the action, the interactions, and through the promises, Jesus protects his disciples, but he also protects us. Now, that's the first three, right? Teaching, action, and interactions, and promises. Now, here's number four, and since I put all my weight on it, I hope it's good, all right? Because I said this is going to be the best one. And I want you to, to remember what I mentioned before about uh, being this broken record. Because this thing is sort of a secret, right? Number four is a secret. It's a secret. So don't tell anybody else about this number four. And if you're here as a guest, cover your ears. No, don't. Don't cover your ears. Because this secret here is not so much a secret I want you to look at this here. This is the list of where, we're being, where we've gone and where we're going, right? These are the things that, that Jesus does intentionally. We started off with reveal. We went to speak, to prayer, and now we're at protect. We go to sent after this, sanctify, and share. This protect is right smack dab in the middle of these. And in the middle of this, 
in this protection part of Jesus' love and care for his disciples and how he showed his disciples to disciple. And then turns around and says, now you go and disciple as I discipled. You go preach. You go baptize. You go teach everything that I commanded you. And I'll be with you. Right here, smack dab in the center, I see his protection, not only from the teaching, from the actions, from the promises, but I see the protection coming from who the disciples are learning from. The man, Christ himself. Jesus himself. That's why I say it's a secret, because it's actually pretty simple, I think. The protection part here is really, really simple. I'm going to sum it all up in this man, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to sound like a broken record again this morning. But how did Jesus train his disciples? Come follow me, and I will make you. Right? First part is, come follow me. That's relational. Intentional. There's a relationship that is building from this, or this intentional is building from the relationship here. The protection stems from the relationship that these disciples enjoy with Jesus Christ. And I know I've said that many times before. But that's, I think, when, you talk, when I talk about protection and Jesus, that last scripture we looked at in John chapter 10, where he says, they're in my hand, nobody can get them out. They're in the Father's hand, nobody can get them out. You may want to jump out of that hand, but nothing else is going to separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. I've got you covered. I have you completely and fully protected. Now, could that protection come through a relationship with the law? No. I don't think so. A relationship. Think about how, how odd that sounds, too. A relationship with law. Versus a relationship with Jesus himself. Or God himself. Now, God gave the law. The law was good. But trying to have a relationship with law is butting heads, I think. What, what Jesus is saying here is not just a picture of this, this mental ascent. We've talked about that before. Just not knowing it. But knowing you have to know. But it's not just the mental ascent that Jesus is the Son of God. It is, once, it is something more than just that. It's, it's entering into a relationship with Him. You can't develop that relationship with law. Because I want to ask you this question here. Can you honestly say to me that you are going to be 100% right about 100% of everything, 100% of the time. I'm yeah, 100% sure, no. I'm not going to be 100% sure, 100% sure about absolutely everything in this book. I'm going to make mistakes. And I can't be 100% right all the time. I just can't be that. But if I'm going to look at this, and if the disciples were going to look at this like a law book and say, I've got to dot my I's and I've got to cross every T. I've got to get everything right in here all the time. I'm going to be in trouble. The disciples are going to be in trouble. And Jesus, I don't think Jesus is saying here, you better dot your I's and you better cross your T's. You better get everything right every time. He's saying, you better have a relationship with me. You better know me, the one that, I, the one that was sent by the Father. And when you know me... There's grace, there's mercy, and you're not going to get 100% right every time. Because when you think about it, if you can say, I'm going to do this 100%, get everything 100% right, do everything 100% of the time right, and always be sure of that, then who am I really 
counting on to get me to where I need to go. Me. Yeah. yeah, me. Uh, that, I'm saying, if I can do this 100% of the time right, all the time, then I got it covered. And I'm missing a big part of God's word. If, I'm, if I think for a moment that I've got it covered, if I can do 100% of this stuff right all the time, I'm really putting my faith in me. So well, let me ask you this question. I'm sure you're going to give me an affirmative answer to it. Do you need a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you need to know Jesus? Yes. We need to know Jesus. The world needs to know Jesus. How does Jesus protect? Because you know him. That's why he protects you. That's why you enjoy that protection. But you'll tell me the Bible does not explicitly say that I need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Nowhere in here does it say, Robert, or disciples, or those who come after me, I want you to, to have a personal relationship with me. Does the Bible explicitly say that? Yeah, he says that. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. But it never actually commands me to say, you must have a personal relationship. Like the scripture I gave you for when I was apologizing for going over last week, so long, Psalm 30, or, uh, Proverbs 32, verse 1. Did anybody look Proverbs 32, verse 1 up? Yeah. Because if you did, you're, you're lying. Because it's not there. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. There's no 32. That's why I said in, the seat of learning can only endure what the, or the mind of learning can only endure what the seat can. You know, it's, it's, it's a good proverb, but it's not in the Bible. And, and the words, hey, you've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is not in the Bible. But I think the principle is that you do have to have a personal relationship with Jesus in the Bible. You do have to have a personal relationship with God. He's asking you to have that relationship. And if you don't have that relationship, that protection that you enjoy in that relationship is not going to be there. If you don't know Jesus, you're not going to have that same relationship. Because if, I mean, if we looked at this like a law book, and I'm afraid that, and I'll be honest with you, at times in my life, I have. I have, I feel, I'll be honest with you again, I feel more comfortable knowing um, rules and regulations. You know, because then I know when I step out of line. Then I know I'm okay. If I don't go that far, then I'm okay. And I, I feel comfortable with those things. But when I read the New Testament... I used to read it in that fashion. I used to read that, that this is this and this is this and I've got black and white here and I feel so good about it. <laughs> but it's, it's not that. And I've missed the message so many times thinking that. It's not that. But it doesn't, ex- it doesn't say explicitly that, yeah, you've got to have a personal relationship. So where is that? This confused baby wants to know too. Where is that in the Bible? Show me where that is. Well, I'll show you a little. But if, 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 if we go back to that 100% of, of the 100% of the time, getting 100% of things right, well, our, our services would look a lot different than they do if we really wanted to look exactly like the New Testament looked. We wouldn't do a lot of things that we do, and we do a lot of things differently. For example, just for an example that always tick, tickles me, I've gotten ribbed and... and and chastised before because my sermons don't end, not all of my sermons end with the gospel invitation or an invitation at all sometimes. And I've gotten in trouble before for that. But if we really knew where those came from, 1830, Charles Finney, the anxious bench, evolving into the altar call, evolving into what we use as, as an in, in invitation, well, okay, 
It's a great thing. It's, it's a good thing, sure. But is it a scriptural thing? If, if I'm actually trying to be 100% right 100% of the time, I'm not so sure I would give you an altar call or an invitation because that's denominational practice. I could point to a denomination anyway. But is that wrong to do? No. Why not, why, why not do it? Sure, you could do it. If the sermon lends to it, do it. But if it doesn't, don't do it. And hey, don't give me any problems if I don't do it. I mean, I chuckle because I was in that same boat thinking, this is God's word. Why aren't you doing these kinds of things? And then I look at the God's word and I think, why am I demanding those things? That's not in God's word. So many things I've missed before because I really didn't, like Bill said this morning, know Jesus. I didn't really know him. I didn't really know the relationship that I could have with him versus a relationship with right and wrong, the law, getting things exactly right each time. Well, I'm done with that kind of life. I'm done with that. I'm not going to worry about that anymore. I'm going to pursue a relationship with Jesus. And you might be saying, well, duh, that's, that's, that's the way it is. That's the way it always has been. Well, for me, this is not the way it's always, always has been. And maybe not for you either. So this morning, I want to look at God's protection, Jesus' protection through knowing Jesus Christ. Those are the things that I really want to look at. First thing, turn your Bible over to John chapter 17 again. The one that we're coming from. He says at the very beginning of that chapter, where he's praying for himself. Verses 1 through 3. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee, even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. And then he goes on to describe what eternal life is. This is eternal life, that they may know who? You, the Father, the only true God, and... Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And we've talked about the knowing before, right? What that means, the fact that it's not just the knowledge of the head knowledge, it's the intimate knowledge. It's the knowing about this man, this man Jesus, the intimate knowledge with him and having a relationship with him. In fact, if you want to go over to chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 22 through 23, well, you've talked about this one too recently, I think, about the dangers of, of either side of this, really. 22 and 23, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. That's, that's a scary sentence when Jesus says to them, I don't know who you are. Why don't I know who you are? Because you don't know me. You don't know me, and I don't know who you are. You say you do this, but I don't know who you are. The knowing Jesus is essential to his protection. You've done all these things, great. But do you know Jesus? First John chapter 5, 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. And I'm going to point back to what I've said before in other lessons here, that we can fall so in love with the Word and getting the Word right that we miss the message of the Word. Just like the Pharisees and them did. They fell in love with so much with the law that they're staring so intently at this Word and they're, they're studying the Scriptures. Jesus says, you're searching these things, but you're missing me, the one who it's about. You're missing me right in front of your face. John 5.38, in fact, jump over there really quickly since we're not too far away from John. John 5.38, you can't see Jesus because you can't see through this, this law here. <clears throat> and you do not have His Word abiding in you, for you do not believe Him whom He sent. You don't even have the Word in you. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. You look so intently into these things and yet you miss the real big picture right in front of your face, Jesus. Now that, again, this goes back to his teaching through his action and interactions, watching over his disciples and hear the actions and interactions of others and even the promises. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. He says you look for these things, but in, in these things, if you, if you can't get past these things and see me, then you're in trouble. You won't have eternal life because you don't know me. So the first thing, I think, and the fourth thing here is to know Jesus, to know him, but to also know that he is a relational Jesus. There is a lot of relational imagery when it comes to God and when it comes to Jesus in the Bible. And maybe I've missed some of that before because the, the understanding that I, that I think I am, I'm getting nowadays and, and for years been, been coming to that I am a part of this family. I am a part of a relation with, with this Jesus that is so much better than just trying to find out what's right and what's wrong. This relational thing. Maybe your family looks like that. Huh? Have any weird family pictures in your, in your family? I don't think I have any weird ones like that, but uh, definitely had some styles that are out of date at this point. But Jesus definitely came to be more than just this, this high and mighty God. He came to be... Among us, like Bill said this morning, he came and tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He put on flesh. He had blood running through his veins. He was like us. John fifteen fourteen says, you are my friends if I do whatever I command you. Now, go over to John 15, well, right around John 15, because we're going to back up a couple chapters and read a couple verses in 13 and 14 as well. So, in fact, go to 13 first. Yeah, go to 13 first. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So it could easily, I could easily fall into this category of, I've got to do what he commands me. So this is all about commands, and this is all about these things that I can decipher in, in God's word. This is about getting things right 100% of the time. Not that I don't want to get things wrong, or right. I don't, don't misunderstand me at all. But I'm not going to live my life as a scared man trying to find each commandment and make sure I'm dotting my I's and crossing my T's. John chapter 13, 34 through 35. We read that this morning in class too, right? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another 
even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A commandment that he says to love one another. Now go over to John 14, verse 7. <coughs> Excuse me. Here is this one that we've been referencing over and over and over again. Right after Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him. You've seen him. And then Philip pipes up and he says, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long? And yet you've not come to know me, Philip. They look at that desire for a relationship from Jesus. I've been with you. I want you to know me. And if you know me, then you know the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Gentlemen, this, this should be clear by now. Gentlemen, you, you should see the Father in me. How do, you, how do you still ask me that question, Philip? Now, you, know, you can almost, I don't know if I'm reading into it, but you can almost <clears throat> excuse me, hear Jesus' voice cracking. This looks safe. Yeah, brand new. You can almost hear Jesus saying, and that, that emotion coming through that, I, I want you to see the Father. I want you to see who I am. I want you to know who, who's standing in front of you. I want you to know who wants a relationship with you, Philip. Because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, go to John 15. And we're going to back up a little from 17 and go to verse 12. <coughs> Man, I'm dying up here. Verse 12, <clears throat> this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Sounds a lot like chapter 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Again, here's that command. And you could easily lay, lay it, you've got to do what you command. If you don't do what he commands you, you're not his friend. Verse 15, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Jesus says, you love me, and I want you to love one another. How does he command you to love one another? Why, do we, why does he command us to love him? Uh, command comes from the fact that he loved us first. I'm convinced that, that because Jesus loved me first, when he says, I want you to love me, and because you love me, then you're going to love everybody else around you. That's a part of loving me. Amen. When you love me, you're going to do what I'm asking you to do. Yeah, I'm commanding you to do it. But why do you do it? Because you love me. Because I loved you. Love is the central motivator here for me. Love is the central motivator, I think, for God and the central motivator for Christ. Love, not command. It is a command, but the central motivation is love. And it's this relational Jesus that says, I am showing you the Father, Philip. You guys should know that by now. You guys should see that by now. Do we see him as the Father? Do we see Jesus like like? Bill's class again this morning. Seeing the Father in Jesus. When you look at Christ, you see the Father. Do we see that in Him? 
When we read the commands to love him, do we understand I'm loving him because he first loved me. He died. He came to die for me when I was still an enemy of his. And yet he still wants to die for me. And I'm going to love him because of that. Because he loved me first. It's that friend relationship, but it's also a brother relationship, right? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. Jesus says, or the Hebrew writer says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Man, Jesus Christ calling us brothers, sisters, not to be sexist here. Brothers, sisters, calling us family, saying, I love you, I'm going to call you family and children. Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 7, I'm not going to read all of that. If you want to read it later, go ahead. But Galatians 4, 1 through 7, there's adoption in there and there's sons in there. That we're being adopted into a family. That he's calling us sons. That he's, that he's calling us a part of his family. We're a part of the family of God. And if that's not a relationship, I don't know what is. And God has been calling for that since Genesis chapter 1 on through. He's saying, I want a relationship with you. But like Bill pointed out again this morning, who was the one that said, I don't want a relationship with you? Adam and Eve said, I don't want this. I think I know better than you, God. Just like the illustration with children again this morning. I've been in that position where I told my parents, I think I know better. They were probably in that same position with their parents. Maybe you were too. But there's a relationship here that, that, is, that is protecting us, but that relationship is only in Christ. We go from knowing Jesus to a relational Jesus, to my third one of the fourth point here, a narrative Jesus. This is that, that story from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the Bible. This narrative that God says, I love you. I want you. I want you to come back to me. And I'm going to do everything I can to show you I love you. I'm even going to send you my son. And you're going to kill him. And I'm still going to love you. And that sacrifice is going to allow you to be a part of me. That story and that redemption stretches all the way back there. But God loves us so much that Jesus came to this earth to be with us, to wash our feet, to love us, to care for us, to save us, to die for us. That whole ministry of the gospel is that ministry of reconciliation that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. We're here for, to reconcile back to God. This is a ministry of reconciliation. For while we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 5 through 8. That narrative, that biblical narrative that stretches from generations... Genesis to Revelation, trying to, trying to push Genesis and Revelation together. Genonations. From Genesis to Revelation, all of this saying, I want to be a part of your life. And I want you to be a part of my life. I'm going to send you this letter here that tells you all about me, all about my care, all about my love, all about, all about me. And I want you to come to me. And I'm going to send someone to you. I'm going to make it easy for you. It's not even going to be on your own strength that you have to come to me. It's going to be through the strength of my son that you come through me. This whole thing, this, this whole 
protection that the disciples enjoy and that we enjoy is from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I think that's the hinge of the protection part. That if we want to be protected, where do you find protection? In Christ. No other place do you find protection like he he gives but in him. And since we're to be the hands and the feet of Jesus while we're on the earth here, 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about that. Galatians 6, I think, and James 1, 27. We've got things that we could be doing as hands and feet of Jesus. If we're the body, then we've got that hands and feet. We've got to be moving and shaking for Jesus. This is a relationship. But like I said, I, I used to think that this kind of thinking would be a slippery slope to just saying everything's okay. That if I don't have that clearly defined right and wrong, black and white, then, then I'm going to be one of those guys that, that goes off the deep end. But I was wrong. I want to go off the deep end for Christ. This isn't a carte blanche to do anything we want. God, I want to do what's right. I want to, I want to be led and, and moved by God's word, period. But it's not because I'm being moved out of fear. It's not because I'm being moved because I think I've got all my ducks in a row here. It's because I'm being moved for love. Because I love Jesus. Because I love him who sent him. And I love Jesus who sent his spirit to live in me. And that spirit empowers me to move and to be protected as Jesus protected his disciples and as he still continues to protect us. If you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. If we have a relationship with Jesus, his spirit lives with us. So let me ask you today at the end of this lesson, because it's just protect. We've got a lot of ground we can cover this week in the idea of protection. But let me end with this one question. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus today? Would you describe your relationship with Jesus Christ as a personal relationship with him? If you don't, we need to talk. And you need to talk to Jesus. You need to get into his word. You need to find out how much he loves you. How much he wants to have a personal relationship with you. Because that protection for his disciples and for us only comes through a personal relationship. Through him. And through him only. Do you know the Father? Do you know the Spirit? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That's a question for you this week. That's a question for you today. If you don't, see, today is one of those good days for a gospel invitation. Today is one of those days where it will fit into the sermon. So today is a day I'm not going to get in trouble, at least for that part. (laughs) Not yet. That's right. I've got plenty of other things I can get in trouble for, right? Exactly. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, today is a day you can start one. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He says, if you love me, love each other. Peter is saying in Acts 2, if you love him, what are you going to do? When those men and those women, those people there are pierced to the heart in Acts 2, what do they say to Peter? What do we need to do to be saved? Man, they finally get it. They finally make that intellectual assent to, oh my, we did kill Jesus. He was the son of the living God. Now what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Man. What a beautiful message. You've come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. He is who He says He is. You've come to the conclusion that Jesus wants you 
God wants you. You need forgiveness. And Peter says, now that you've done that, now that your heart's been pricked, now that Jesus is ready to get in there, be immersed. Have those sins washed away. Rise to that new life. Have His Spirit dwell in you and empower you for the rest of your life. And if you, have you haven't started that personal relationship with Jesus today, but you know who He is, today's the day to do that. Today's the day to give your life to Jesus. Today's the day to come home and start that personal relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do that today if you haven't already. And continue in a personal relationship with Him this week as we stand and as we sing.